Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special on the new Ira Sachs film, Love is Strange, starring John Lithgow and Alfred Molina. Joining me here in the Slate studio is June Thomas. June. Thank you, Dana. I'm so glad to be here to talk about this film. I should I should identify you, but I don't even know how to say all the things you are. You're every woman. All the things I am. It's that? all I'm in me. Every woman. It's all in me. <laughs> okay, let's just stop saying. You are the editor of Slate's Outward. Yes, it's LGBT section. Uh, Outward and a culture critic. Oh my god. And also occasional guest on the Double X podcast? Or I'm regular, regular guest. You're regular yes, now. Regular, right. yes. So you can hear June in many, many places all over Slate. So June, you and I went to see Love is Strange the other night, and we had, I never really mentioned the conditions of a viewing in a spoiler, because what's the point? They're usually yeah. just a press screening, but this was such an odd occasion. I felt like we'd gone through the looking glass into the other New York, the more fabulous New York, where everything is more beautiful and, and more just luxurious. It was very, very strange. For some reason, the screening of Love is, Love is Strange that we went to was, was hosted by some sort of social club for attractive people. <laughs> attractive, well-dressed people. Where they gave In us... a very fancy sort of hotel club spot yeah. where they were handing out free margaritas, and I could not make head or tail of what was going on. They were plying us with, with yeah. sponsors' snacks. Well, and, and it wasn't just so that we had, we had the free booze. We had free cocktails. Then when we got into the screening room, there were free imported snacks, and then they announced that the director and two of the actors were going to be there at the end, which was amazing. But, like, is this how some people live? Yeah, it all felt very Telluride Film Festival, <laughs> like plonked into the middle of a normal workday. So yes. so that part was great. Maybe that primed us up to exactly. like the movie more than we would have otherwise. But I did quite like Love is Strange. What about you? I, I agree. It was, I mean, it, I think as, as many of the reviews, I haven't had a chance to read yours yet, Dana, but as many of the reviews have said, it's a small movie. It's a gentle, like, it's 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 the opposite of... of what we typically see in the summer. But it's I thought it was really beautiful, yeah. So I guess we would classify this as a, as a gay love story. Mm-hmm. It is a love story between two men. But this, to me, what surprised me about it, and I'm seeing this in a lot of the coverage too, is the extent to which it did not feel like a gay movie with a right. capital G. Right. It didn't feel like something that necessarily was going to end up at, you know, a, a lesbian and gay film festival, that right. it was going to be making the circuit, making the rounds on that circuit. And it was sort of, to me, a promising step toward, you know, there being a love story that is just a love story in its right. own terms. Yeah. Yeah. And they're very integrated into all kinds of worlds. You know, they, yes, they're a gay couple that's been together for nearly 40 years. They do things with family members. They do things with other gay people. They have a very wide social circle. Right. It's not really a vision of a, of a gay universe that's sort of sealed unto itself right. or has its own rules. It doesn't have some, some sort of feeling of like, look, straight people, you're getting a tour so of the gay world. It's right. a, they live in the world. Yeah. And it's a very sort of high-end New York world. I mean, I don't know high-end because you, you get the feeling that they're not rich. They're, they're living on their... Social Security and their income from, you know, teaching in a Catholic school. So they're not, you know, fabulously wealthy by any means, the the opposite, in fact. But they live a rarefied life. They go to classical musical performances. Uh, the the Ben, who's played by John Lithgow, is a painter. And, and uh, Is it ever said what he did for a living when he worked? No, I wondered if perhaps he had always been a painter, but but I don't believe it's it's sad, no. But since Alfred Molina's character, George, is a is a music teacher at a Catholic school, he can't really make enough money to have kept his painter boyfriend in in clover all of those yeah, years. You're right. It's quite interesting actually the questions about class and money and real estate mm-hmm. in this movie because they're 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 subtle, they're not underlined, but in some ways it is as much a movie about real estate as as it is a movie about marriage. Yeah, real estate and as you said as we left, Dana, about house guests. 
about you know imposing imposing on other people, uh, staying with people, right? Because the long-term. central premise, exactly, because the central premise of this movie is that we see George and Ben get married in the very first scene, mm-hmm. and uh, that's when you think that it might you know be some sort of I don't know a, a, a chronicle of a gay marriage, but in fact that's almost immediately becomes less important than the fact that they've lost their home, which they do in part actually because they got married. George Absolutely. loses his job at a Catholic school as a music teacher because even though he's been out for many years with his boss, who's a parish priest. He, um, by, by sealing the deal and getting married, he, he makes it too evident and mm-hmm. they have to fire him. Right. And this is something that happens in real life all too frequently. We know we've seen several cases this year. That is a very real thing that happens. And that was all very credible. Nope, I don't think anybody would have any problem believing that he would lose his job. It's unfair. It's horrible. But that happens. But some of the real estate stuff. So then because George loses his job, and Ben doesn't have an income beyond probably his social security, they lose their apartment because they can't afford to pay the mortgage, I guess. And so they have to sell it and they don't get much of a price for it because of some like co-op rules or something. And that, you know, I think maybe it's just New Yorkers, but New Yorkers are so attuned to real estate and you know what things cost, what you could sell for, what you would make, what you would, what it would cost. To and rent the movie's an very down and dirty about that. I mean, yeah. there's a scene with the real estate attorney where we're told in dollar signs yeah. the exact profit they make off the building, which is pathetic. It's, I mean, off the apartment, it's something yeah. like seventeen thousand dollars, right. not even close to enough for a down payment on another place. Right. And so they end up drifting to various friends' couches. Ben, yeah. the John Lithgow character, goes to his extended family, his nephew's house, mm-hmm. and who's in that house? It's Darren E. Burroughs, who's a favorite actor of Ira Sachs. Actually, he was yes. in his his movie Forty. Shades of Blue as well. And uh, Marissa Tomei is his wife. Who's a writer. Who's a stay-at-home writer who's really sort of impinged upon by the presence of this elderly uncle, even though she loves him a lot. And their teenage son, played by, I think, a quite remarkable young actor named Charlie Tahan, who we suspect may possibly be gay himself. He has a very close male friend who who comes over all the time and they hide out in his room and we don't quite know whether they're in love or just Mm -hmm, friends. mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, yeah, I suppose we're going a little bit off the track. I'm taking us a little off the track. But I did like the confusing like it wasn't clear uh what was going on in that relationship and i thought it it was very realistic that his parents would be like their liberal parents who of course probably wouldn't be upset if he was gay but they also they're not like yeehaw you know they they do have some issues about right that. you don't know when they want vlad out of his room right whether it's it's because it's a boy or just because he might be having sex as a teenager right but there is as long as we're spoiling here this is sort of one of the first big giveaways there's also an ending where we see that young boy mm-hmm. in fact the very end of the film we mm-hmm. see him skateboarding down this beautiful sunset street with with a young girl so yeah. you know if, if we don't know if he's bi is he gay maybe things didn't work out with vlad so he's trying things with a girl but yeah. the movie has a nice fluidity around yeah. its characters sexualities yeah. in that way yeah and it and i think you know again we 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 heard from the director and I'm not sure if I would have quite you know had this in my head or if he planted it there but the film is about generations and how different generations both how they interact and how they behave differently and you do get this feeling that young people really feel about sexuality and and you know taking on you know, I am gay, I am straight, I am bi. They just feel very different about that. You right. Know? They're kind of over it. Yeah. And, you know, we hear them saying, oh, that's so gay. And, you know, Ben being all like, hey, don't say that. And they're like, oh, no, we're not being homophobic. It just, you know, that they have a, they've, they've given, a, given a different meaning to it's that It's true. Term. That's very taken in stride. And there's a moment when the Lithgow character really kind of, you know, just, just almost smiles at that, at, yeah. at the word gay being used as a slur, essentially, right. and says, like, ah, oh, they just mean stupid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't take it personally. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that felt, 
again, quite realistic and, 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 and nice, nicely observed. But yes. So I think that one thing you and I can agree that we adored about this movie is the kind of joint performance, the intertwined, almost double performance that, that Lithgow and Molina give together. Yeah. It's somewhat implausible that the two of them are split up in this way. Yes. And it really yes. is one of those Romeo and Juliet rom-com things where you have to believe in this sort of fakey obstacle, that they would beat apart for that long yeah. in that uncomfortable of a way. You know, sleeping, George is sleeping on the couch of their downstairs neighbors who are both gay cops in what I right. thought was sort of an unexplored sitcom right. premise. right. And yeah, and so and, that that doesn't really stand up, but yet their relationship somehow does. Right, exactly. I mean, and you get this feeling that, you know, after George lost his job, I think there's one throwaway line that it was hard on them, and that you have this feeling that maybe they argued, and that there was some discord in the relationship. So that perhaps not only was it a matter of not being able to find a place where they could both stay, but that they needed a little time apart. But they still clearly love each other they're still you know hot for each other but um although i should say there's absolutely no sexual contact oh yeah let's have a sidebar yeah. on the r rating because actually yeah. actually brian louder mm-hmm. on slate's outward blog is going to write about why the hell this movie is rated r it is it is as sweet and gentle and sort of unprofane of a movie as you can imagine i guess it has a little bit of bad language but yeah i mean it's there's no sex no violence yeah and it's entirely because it's gay. It's, you know, the MPAA is notoriously homophobic, and I can just see no other reason. There's nothing in this film. There's a little bit of closed mouth kissing, which might as well be between you know relatives. It's not. It's n- right. It's nothing. And there's like pajama clad, adorable snuggling in a exactly, bunk bed. Exactly. Exactly. There's no rumpy pumpy MPAA. You're crazy. It's it's just pure homophobia. It's it'll be too bad if it keeps people away from this yeah. movie. Although I assume, I mean, it's an adult kind of movie. I don't think yeah. teenagers are going to be drawn to it anyway. So I don't. I hope the rating doesn't doesn't hurt it too much. Yeah. So let's talk about yeah. some of the things that maybe don't work, or some of the odd odds and ends of this movie. What I felt at times besides the obstacle between the lovers problem, that there was something kind of frictionless about the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the real estate crisis gets resolved absurdly, absurdly easily. Absurdly. And for a movie that's going to be so spot on about other details of, of New York real estate and how it sort of divides and brings together couples and families, it, it just seemed very odd the way that Alfred Molina finds their new apartment at the end. Right, which, shall we say what, what happened? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Alfred Molina, I mean, so one, another sidebar, I'm afraid I'm taking us in so many sidebars that we will lose sight of the center, but um, it's, it's a funny thing because Alfred Molina, he often plays characters of color, but he's basically a white guy from London and John Lithgow is a white guy from Ohio and it is a very kind of white world that they move in, which is, you know, fine. That's fine. But then they stay with um, – George stays with the gay cops, one of whom is Latino and there are a lot of people of color in the apartment. And the white people go to classical musical performances and the people of color have dance parties in the apartment every night of the week. <laughs> You're like, okay, I guess I guess that's a view of the world. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, so in one of these – so while George is waiting for tonight's dance party to be over <laughs> so that he can go to bed on the sofa, a, a guy comes up to him who and seems kind of to be – it appears, if you think maybe for a moment, to be coming on to him. He's and it's a, this young, very gorgeous guy, we a, should a, say. A young, attractive Englishman. Uh, who, you know, they find that they're both English. They have that little moment of bonding. Alfred Molina starts, I'm sorry, George starts to say, you know, his his real estate problems, his homelessness. And having sort of met him, what, 30 seconds ago, the guy says, well, you know, in my pockets, I have the key to a rent-controlled apartment on Morton Street. 
Right. And that's the moment that you think, well, this is too good to be true. There has yeah. to be either some sort of sexual quid pro quo or, you know, this guy is trying to work him over in some way. Yeah. And obviously, I don't want the movie to turn into some sort of like, you know, Elmore Leonard exploration of the underbelly of the New York real estate market. Right. It's not that kind of movie. Right. But there needed to be some sort of friction and dramatic resolution there in yeah. that scene or else, I mean, for one thing, it doesn't test George's fidelity. It doesn't test his loyalty. You right. know, there's just, there's not enough at stake there. There's right. just a guy with a key to the perfect apartment. Exactly. And, and it, yeah, and this guy really is just an angel from, you know, South London, which I think is how Ben describes him to George. He's just an angel because he, he's not a real person. He's not a real, he's not in any, it's not a remotely believable situation. And it just kind of gives, it, it removes, it takes you out of that possible reality. Right. It just felt unrealistic. But again, maybe people outside of New York won't even have that consciousness. I mean, I have a feeling if, if Ira Sachs could hear us, he would leap to his own defense by saying, well, I didn't want to focus on the stress and the struggle of getting the new apartment because immediately afterwards, the real shocker happens, right. which you might as well get to the spoiler. In fact, I think there's a fade to black after the apartment deal is made. Maybe. Or so there's some sort of a, te- a temporal break set up, you yeah. know, with the idea that everything's solved and now they're going to move into this swell place on Morton Street. Well, actually, so after he gets the swell place on Morton Street and he goes and sees it, and then there's another scene where Ben and George go for a drink in Julius in the, you know, the oldest gay bar in New York. Which and, is a lovely scene. Yeah. And and it's, yes, that's funny and lovely and, and sort of nostalgic. They're, they're nostalgic for the relationship. And it's a discussion of their past infidelities right. or right. rather Ben's. George right. has supposedly not had any. Exactly. Um, and then, and then we've, oh, and then uh, Ben gets into the subway and then maybe it's a fade to black. Maybe so. That's right. It's after they say goodbye at the Waverly Diner, right, which is right, right around the corner. Oh, us. so much of this happened in our, in the neighborhood. Yeah, we were saying, I'm surprised I wasn't walking my dog in the background <laughs> of one of the shots. It was all, you know, just places that we pass every day. So right near the Slate office at the historic Waverly Diner, <laughs> they say goodnight and there's a fade to black. Right. They're going back to their separate residences. And mm-hmm. that's the last we see of Ben. Mm-hmm. After that, spoiler alert, this is why you're listening to a spoiler special. Ben just dies off camera, mm-hmm. un, undocumented, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, until we visit George in their what was to be their apartment together mm-hmm. a few months, it seems like, later. It seems, yeah. We don't yeah. see his memorial service or anything. No, we just hear because Joey goes to visit uh George to apologize. He begins by apologizing for not going to the service. And at first you think, service? And it's his memorial. It was Ben's memorial service, which he didn't go to. But he presents George with Ben's last painting, which was of Vlad. Uh, and which was the, the ca- which yeah, was the occasion for some dust ups in their family because yeah. you know this yeah, exactly. this young supposedly straight man is posing for this older gay man and so there's a slight hint there of the family's nervousness about right. some sort of pedophilia but no hint whatsoever that that is actually yeah. at work and it also it kind of was ha- maybe destabilized Ben's health because he was painting on the roof he fell down the stairs and maybe that was kind of the first sign of his health breaking so you know maybe that was kind of what brought him to his end right. in a way. But yeah, this is very much, and I say this in the lead to my review, is very much a movie that, that doesn't focus on those big moments, the fall right. down the stairs or the wedding or the yeah. certainly not the death or the funeral, which are completely elided in the narrative. Yeah. It really is all about these interstitial moments and little exchanges between characters. Yeah. Again, I don't know if it was put into my head by Ira Sachs talking about it after the movie that we saw, but it's, it's too, I mean, no, this would have been in my head because it's, it's just a very big part of the movie that there's so much where long spaces of time are given to music's playing, usually Chopin, and characters are sort of staring into space 
thinking. Right. Our producer, Chris Wade, asked, does anyone in Love and Strange ever say the title of the movie? Because there's nothing like that moment when someone in a movie says the title of the movie they're in. And although no one ever says Love is Strange in Love is Strange, it's very clear when they're listening to Chopin and looking out the window at leaves that that's what they're thinking. Exactly. Exactly. You know, something else we haven't mentioned yet that I think is such a great part of this movie and of every movie she's in is Marissa Tomei Mm. as the niece-in-law who who puts up with Ben for a while and, you know, comes close to the breaking point as he's sort of pushing her. He's a wonderful guest, we should say, and a very sweet man. But, you know, it's these small humiliations of being a guest we were talking about that this movie documents really well. So the scene between them, which was mentioned afterwards in the discussion as being a favorite of of everybody present, of Lithgow, Tomei, and and Sachs, but I I already loved it before they told me to, was was the scene where she's sitting and trying to write. I mean, any writer can deeply feel this, right? Mm -hmm. She's sitting at her laptop trying to come up with a novel in the few hours she has before her son comes home from school. And there's John Lithgow sitting on the couch sort of chatting her up, you know, about about her own stuff. He asks her about her writing and about her last book that he's familiar with. And the questions that he's asking are not narcissistic and self-serving, but you can just see her wanting to throttle him more with every passing right. second. It is that, that whole sort of challenge of really wonderful people who, you know, it's so much easier when it's an asshole who's taking up your time. Like it's someone that you love, somebody who's being nice, somebody who's being sweet. And that kind of that internal fight not to resent their right. presence. And that's, that's well hard done. dialogue to write. And I think Sachs does it really well there. It's sort of building up a passive-aggressive conflict between people that doesn't quite break, even mm-hmm. though you're already oh, always expecting it to. Exactly. No, it was very well done. She was really lovely. There were some really... I think all of the acting is very good. There was no one who I didn't like in this film. Really. Yeah, it's one of those ensemble pieces that really is an ensemble piece. It feels like everyone is on the same page. Mm-hmm. Apparently he doesn't rehearse that much. That's what he was saying yeah. after the movie, but it feels like almost play-like and it's, yeah. and it's in the sense of, of space that it creates and that the people seem to have lived together. Yeah, you know that they know what they're doing. You know, he also said he doesn't like to talk about motivation or any of words like that, but you had this feeling that the characters really did have a past together. They had shared history. They, you know, when they were just looking in silence at each other, there was a lot going on in their heads. It wasn't just like, who is that guy? So, I mean, I guess in, in summation, I don't know if you have any last words, but that's what I would send people to the movie for. I, mm-hmm. I think the right kind of viewer will get into this movie's rhythm and love it and just love it for the love story. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the, the wrong kind of viewer could be frustrated by the narrative shapelessness or some of the implausible romantic obstacles thrown between the two lovers. But ultimately, who doesn't want to see Alfred Molina and John Lithgow just in a big, snuggly clinch together? Absolutely. And if you're the kind of person who likes to listen to Chopin and think, hmm, love is strange then this is a movie for you because you can do that. There's a lot of Chopin playing and a lot of time for you to go, hmm, love is strange. <laughs> All right, June, thanks so much for coming in. We haven't done this in too long. You've got to come know. do some spoiling in the near future. I would be so happy to. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.